All right, let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Uh, we're going to take this opportunity uh, to uh, go away from our Roman series uh, just for a week to remind us of why we gather, why we are an assembly uh, following after Christ. And so um, one of the ways we try to remind believers in our assembly of what the New Testament teaches uh, is through uh, four essentials of a New Testament church. Um, these essentials or emphases, we believe the New Testament clearly articulates time and time and time again. And uh, these would be things that uh, in our ministry, in any program, any emphasis that we do, we would hope that uh, an essential, one of these four essentials would drive our church life and practice. Um, in the new members class, we have the opportunity to walk through these. We take about a half hour. I'm not going to do all of that today. This is going to be a little uh, briefer than maybe normal or that, but I thought it would be very important to remind us of these four essentials of ministry as we serve the Lord. Uh, throughout the history of our church, by God's grace, um, although we have many things to learn and many ways to grow as a church, um, God established, I think, in the hearts of the first believers who joined at Colonial to emphasize the text of Scripture. Uh, and so that, of course, is one of the things that we would emphasize. This visual behind me is just a reminder. When we talk about the text, we're talking about Scripture. We're talking about God's Holy Word. And we want to make that essential in every ministry, every gathering uh, that we have together. This, uh, as we describe these four things, all have to do with relationships that we enjoy as believers of Christ. And this one relates to uh, God to us. Uh, God to us. When we talk about the text of Scripture and our commitments, we are committed to know God by understanding and obeying His Word. Hopefully, uh, each one of our members would be zealously committed to know the Word of God. Not just in the pulpit, not just to hear it when it's taught in classes, but that we would demonstrate that commitment day after day by going to the Word because we believe it is from God. Um, we we uh, highlight the text of Scripture because it is true. John seventeen seventeen says, Sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. We emphasize the scripture because they tell us about Jesus and the gospel. I think of John 5, verse 39, which tells where Jesus uh, told the Pharisees, I believe, to search the scriptures and uh, because in them they have eternal life. And then he says, it's they which bear testimony of me. The scriptures point us to Jesus. Hence, we emphasize it over and over again, unapologetically. Uh, we're having a service like this today, yet we're going to spend some time in Scripture. We've heard Scripture, again, through 20 testimonies as well today. We emphasize the text of Scripture uh, as a local church uh, because they explain how we should be living. And so week after week, verse by verse, passage by passage, we emphasize it because it explains to us how we should live in a fallen world. Of course, there are some 
favorite verses I have about the power of Scripture. I love Hebrews 4, verse 12. Do you know that verse? It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Think of 2 Timothy 3 and verse 17. After Paul tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable in four ways, he says that it's given to us that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's why Scripture is given to us, so that we might grow in Christ's likeness and be able to produce the good works that God has beforehand prepared for us to do. And so we unapologetically want to emphasize the Scripture. We hope to emphasize it as long as we exist. And we trust that uh, hopefully by God's grace that will be until his, his return when he comes to take us home uh, to be with him. And so the Scripture is one of our essentials. It, it really drives everything we do, including uh, uh, our counseling. All right? We trust that if you receive counsel, from someone at Colonial Baptist Church, you will perceive in that council that these people really believe in the power of the Word of God to change lives. It's something we'll emphasize in all of these ways, and it's, it's something as a church we, we should never take for granted. Um, I've heard over and over again, since I've been here, we're a text church, we're a text church, we're a text church. We can't ever get away from that. Can't ever get away from that, regardless of who the preacher is, who the person standing up here would be. We should have this hunger and desire for the word. Okay, that's the first essential of our church. The second one, the arrow shifted directions. There, it's now going up. The second essential of our church is worship. Uh, by the way, as you go through the welcome center on your way out, and you look to the left, you should see these essentials uh, on the the side wall there as you go. But we believe that the New Testament also emphasizes worship, exalting God, um, adoring God in authentic and reverent ways. When we talk about this relationship, this is our response to God. God has revealed himself to us in different ways. He revealed himself to us in creation. He's revealed his, mor- we learned this in Romans, didn't we? His Moral expectations are written and scribed on our hearts, the hearts of every person. Uh, he's given us a conscience that helps us understand whether God's things, whether we're obeying or following God's things. He's revealed himself to us through uh, his, uh, the, the living word in flesh, Jesus Christ, but also through the written word. And so in response to that, it's our call to worship him, to worship him. We desire to appropriately respond to God in our gatherings and in all of life by ascribing honor and worth to God because he is worthy. To emphasize the worthiness of God, I ask you to turn to Revelation 4 and 5. I love Revelation 4 and 5. When I think of worship, I think of this passage. Uh, Here we're given a glimpse into heavenly worship. John, the writer, tells us more about the worship that's going on in heaven. And I just want to point out a few things to you. 
Uh, If you're looking at chapter 4, we'll start reading in verse 8. I want to read through verse 11. And we'll first see the worship that is assigned to the one who is seated on the throne. Revelation 4, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created." Stop for a moment. Here you have the four living creatures inaugurating this worship and then 24 elders joining them. And what I want to point out in chapter 4 is they are worshiping the one who is seated on the throne in heaven. Who is that? It's God. God. The one seated on the throne. They're offering their worship up to this God. And they describe him in many ways. He is holy. Three times holy. Right? Separated from sin. He is also everlasting. You look at the end of verse 8. Who was and is and is to come. He's the everlasting one. He's worthy of worship. Verse 11. And He's worthy of worship because he's the creator of all things, as you read there. And so it's an amazing act of worship that we're seeing that we get a glimpse of, but there's development in this worship in heaven, and I want to point that out to you. I remember just noticing this for the first time about a year ago, and since then just being thrilled by these things. Uh, look at chapter 5, verse 6. The worship turns from the one seated on the throne. The one who's on the throne has a scroll in his hand, and they're looking for someone who can open up the scroll and read it. That's when the lion from the tribe of Judah stands. And he's worthy to take the scroll and to read it. But then he's described not only as a lion, but in verse 6, in the middle of the verse, as a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Second, I'm going to ask you who this lamb is. But notice that there's worship offered to him. Look at verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Listen to their worship here. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We'll stop reading for a moment. 
Here the worship turns from the one who was seated on the throne, this time to the one who took the scroll from his hand, who is described as a lamb, who has ransomed people from God, from every tribe, language, people, and nation. I ask you, who was the slain lamb who did this? Jesus. And so in this glimpse of heavenly worship, we see initially these these heavenly beings worshiping the one on the throne, God. Then they worship Jesus, the lamb who's been slain. Okay? And if that doesn't give you goosebumps yet, look at verses 13 and 14 in the crescendo at the end and how this all comes to close. Verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them saying, you imagine this day of worship, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they did what? Worship. So if we want to learn about proper worship, I think it's good to learn in places like this. Okay? Where we see these elders, the living creatures, and eventually we see every created being offering a crescendo of praise to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb who was slain to save us from our sins. The scripture has a lot to say about worship, and so we trust that when we gather together that your heart is ready, okay? We worship in all of life. I think Romans 12, 1 and 2 would talk about how our life is a living sacrifice, but there's also a time where we worship together in the gathering. We come here and we sing together, right? We, we want to emphasize congregational singing, where we sing together, praise to glorify the name of God because he's worthy. That's the second essential. If I'm not careful, I won't uh, keep my commitment of being less than 30 minutes. So you get me in Revelation 4 and 5, I get carried away. The third essential is community. Community. Pursuing one another through love and good works. This is our relationship to other believers. Community is the bond that believers feel toward one another that overcomes all differences in class, background, ethnicity, interests, and personality through the union that Jesus has produced. And the union that Jesus produced among us compels us, men and women, to pursue one another in love and good works. I think what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think our recent bouts dealing with covid Uh, has revealed to us how important fellowship or community in the body of Christ is. 
Our response to the pandemic has negatively impacted many believers in our church and other assemblies who aren't gathering with the body to be encouraged and aren't really obeying this command very well to stir up other believers. Listen, it's very sad to hear um, from some believers even outside of our assembly that instead of pursuing other believers and pushing them toward Christ-likeness in the gathering or outside of the gathering, they're watching online preachers thinking that they're obeying God's desires for them. Such an approach to Christianity becomes all about ourselves. It can become self-absorbed. And we err on possibly making no or little impact on other people for the cause of Christ. Hebrews instead pushes us to pursue others. And so I ask my brothers and sisters here, the very fact you're gathering with us here today might be a good sign, but are you pursuing others because of the access that God has given to you, to himself through our great high priest, Jesus Christ? That's community. And then finally, mission. Finally, mission. This is sharing the gospel of Christ from our neighborhoods to the nations. This is us to unbelievers. One of the reasons I, I like the four essentials, and, and they had these essentials before I ever came here, so don't think I created these. Um, they're pulling them from the New Testament. Um, one of the reasons I like them is it describes all of our relationships. Us to God, or you know, God to us, text of Scripture, us to God, worship, believers to one another, that's community, believers to unbelievers is mission. And uh, not too long ago, I preached in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, and I talked about the, the debt that Paul felt. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the saving power of God for righteousness for anyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Just before that, he said that he felt that he was under an obligation to preach it in Rome also. And I explained the way that Paul was in debt to all the people around him was that God had entrusted to him something that he needed to give to someone else. And the same is true of us, brothers and sisters. God has given to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you have an obligation to get to know people in this community, to uh, then share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Take what God has given to you in the gospel and to give it to others. And so I would trust and hope that God would do this for us as well, so that we would all gladly obey what, what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. He said, But in your hearts, revere Christ the Lord as holy. Listen to what he says. Always being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks, you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. As we think of these four things, I pray that God, as a, um, according to his goodness and grace to us, would enable us to grow in these areas, commit to serve God in these ways, and worship and serve him.